Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to connect with other listeners and also dive deeper into topics, as well as attend live trainings every Tuesday at 8 p.m., click the link down below and join the First Time Homebuyer School. See you inside. So one thing that I will admit is sometimes when you're in the realm of like trying to scale to get outside of your job, you forget the most important thing that got you there, and that was your job. um, For me, that's what it was, bro. So a lot of times, like when I'm getting these properties, you know, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm on socials. I kind of got distracted and kind of just got so consumed with, you know, rentals and doing this and doing that, that it actually affected like my job performance. Like I wasn't as focused. I wasn't as locked in. Welcome to House Rich, the real estate show where we help millennials figure out where do I get started in real estate and how to build generational wealth. Today, we have a special guest, Tremaine Robinson, the nine to five landlord. We're going to be talking about how to build and manage your portfolio while you have a nine to five. Because I think a lot of times we see on uh, the gram or the TikTok, wherever you're at, you know, folks that um, at least claim to have like 20, 30, 40 units and be financially free. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where folks are thinking about how do I get in the game, but are never never actually pulling the trigger, right? So we're going to talk about um, someone that's on that journey to get financially free, has a nine to five, like most people do when they own rental properties, believe it or not, and uh, how he manages those properties. And uh, yeah, so we'll get into a little bit of that. So I uh, appreciate you being on the, the show. Um, anything I missed as far as your, your introduction you would like to add? Uh, no, I mean, not really. Uh, like, as you said, uh, I'm Tremaine, aka the nine to five landlord. I'm an accountant by day landlord at night uh between right. me and my lady we have eight units which consists of two triplexes and a duplex and i also have a course called nine to five landlord where i go over how to be a landlord while working a demanding job oh okay roger roger that thank you so let, let's jump right into that and so um i know what kind of the the pre-game we're talking about you know you and your lady are are not um actually married yet and so did you consciously like purchase properties like separately in order to kind of build your portfolio before getting married yes. or that just kind of naturally unfold? You kind of talk about that, that thought process? Uh, No, yes. No, it definitely was subconsciously like we need to try to get property before we get married because I feel like my take on what marriage is and what everybody else is might not be the same. I feel like it's a business. Um, Of course, you know, you like the person you with, but yeah. I didn't want to need to know kind of long-term agreement without no assets, man. So my whole thing was before we officially, which we still have, but we will soon officially, you know, make this official partnership. Let's build these assets up. So, you know, push, come to shove. You got yours. I got mine. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're still straight. We're going into it with something than just, you know, debt from a big wedding. So that was kind of powerful. Gotcha. So who, who's, whose idea was it to to um, start building the portfolio? Or were you guys just on the same? Uh, well, it, it started, it, it was for me, but uh, how it all started is, so I work as an accountant for my nine to five. So during tax season, I do a lot of tax returns for a lot of different people. All right. So I happen to be doing this one tax return in particular, and a guy made like $12,000 from his W-2 job. He had like $50 in interest in dividends. And doing the tax return, I'm like, why, why is he a client of ours? Because we charge top dollar. And this was kind of like a simple return. Mm-hmm. And then I got to what's called the Schedule E, which is where you put all your real estate holdings. Mm-hmm. And the guy made like $195,000. And I seen that, I'm like, whoa, because I seen the paperwork on those properties. They were all areas that I had 
drove by in the inner city of Milwaukee because that's where I'm from, the north side of Milwaukee. So when I see the addresses, I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I've drove by these places. He owned this. This what it consists of? So that's kind of where the button went off. Like maybe I want to get into rental property because he didn't make that much from his job. when it got to the schedule E, like I said, he made like $195,000. So after that standpoint, I started binge listening to podcasts every day and just consuming the information that gave me the confidence to pull the trigger. Okay. So let's, let's talk about pulling the trigger. Like you talk about the process of purchasing your, your first property. Okay. So when I was listening to that, uh, when I got the bug, it was, I believe, like January, February of 2019. Um, I started business in the podcast and then start preparing, like paying off debt, trying to save this, this and that. And um, so that fall, I have planned on not being ready until next June. So, um, you know, I kind of had to push off, but then I... Uh, I got a call from the realtor I spoke to and was like, hey, there's this triplex that's available, that's off market. Um, it's a former client of mine. Would you be interested in seeing it? And I didn't feel ready, but I'm just like, okay, well, you know, let me just go see it. So I go see it and it's fully occupied and, you know, the numbers weren't bad. So I'm just like, man, maybe I should just, you know, pull the trigger. So I did. Um, I got pre-approved. I ended up writing an offer. And um, that was about November, and I didn't close to January 2nd. But um, between that time, I almost pulled out the deal three different times because I got that inspection report back. Uh -huh. And I didn't know how to read one of those. And everything was, like, bad, quote-unquote, because it was uh -huh. an older park. Like, the building was built, in, I think, in 1908. So when they're saying certain things, like, this problem, this problem, I'm assuming it's going to be the worst cost. Like, oh, this is 10000 That's 10000 No, I'm out. But, you know, I ended up sticking it through. I closed. And then the same day I closed, I had to give new leases and ask for rent to strangers. So mm -hmm. I got in the game. Okay. And so um, an important thing that I think, I uh, hope that you guys didn't miss that, was like just the power of starting where you're not ready. Because like if you had never talked to that that realtor in the first place, like you would never got that call for the off-market deal. So I think that's the power of one um working with a good realtor who like has connections in the area you're looking at. Cause one, the realtor had to know somebody that would tell them about an off market or um, had to know a client that had an off market deal. And then Sue um, was connecting with somebody that kind of is doing business in the area. Um, so you, you said you closed in January, 2020. Yep. So yeah, January 2nd, 2020. Okay. Well, awesome. So it's right, right before the, uh, the, the COVID takeoff as far as, as far as, uh, as far as prices. So um, you chose to to not live in the property, like you, you stayed in your own property, and that became a, a rental, like all three. No, years? no, no. I, I had to live in the property because I had a conventional, uh, had a conventional owner occupy low. So I kind of had to. So when I first got the property, I had to kind of get a gauge of who I wanted to essentially kick out because all units were occupied. Okay. So my thing was my lease ran out, I believe, in like March or April. So I felt like I had until then to figure out who I wanted to kick out, uh -huh. but. The second month, I didn't collect rent from the highest paying tenant, and she didn't answer her phone. Okay. So I literally on my job break had the job uh, to drive by there, knock on her door, and be like, "Hey, you know what's going on? You okay?" okay? And I get to the door, and she's like, "Oh, I'm moving." Okay, so it's working. I'm out. like, "Huh?" I said, "When you moving?" She's like, right "Tomorrow." <laughs> I'm like, "Huh?" I'm like, "You signed the lease. That you supposed to give me thirty days and this and that." She's like, "Oh, well, family emergency. Where you want me to leave your key?" 
I'm like, oh, well, you can give it to the lady upstairs, I guess. So I'm literally driving back to work like, oh, snap. Uh-huh. She moving out. What do I got to do? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So the next day I get off of work, I go there. It's pitch black. I'm going inside, the, you know, I'm yelling out hello because, you know, you hear stories of hoarders, of people yeah, standing yeah. there after they move out. So I'm thinking there might be somebody else in here. So I didn't stay there long, but I literally did the rehab one by one. Like, okay, we need paint. Okay, let's go buy paint. And then me and my lady went to the store, got paint, and was paint for two, three weeks, which I'll never do again. But we did that, and it was like, okay, let's get this trash cleaned out. Okay, trash cleaned out. Okay, we need flooring. So we literally did step by step. And by the time we was done, it was like, yo, let's let's live in here because it was nice. And at the time, between the upstairs, the two units upstairs, they was paying $1,300. And my rent, I mean, my mortgage was $1,270. So when okay. we moved downstairs, we were literally living in there for free. Okay, awesome. And so you talked about um, creating new leases for the tenants that were were, were there. So I, I assumed you'd like raise the the rent prices and if that is accurate like um how do you determine what like the market rent uh would be or that the market rent was too low based on the leases oh right away no sir i did not raise the rent right away oh, okay okay so I, you just I had to sign new lease like renew their their contract basically they didn't have paperwork oh okay okay so, gotcha, gotcha. so okay. the previous buyer i bought it from was like a landlord out of dc you know i'm in wisconsin so he was negligent he wasn't really owning like that so when i as soon as i closed on a property I thought I was going to be able to close on the property and go back to work. I ended up taking off the rest of the day because I had to drive to the lease place and get lease paperwork, get everything together, introduce myself to the tenants, and then have them sign the new leases with the rent that they currently had. Because my whole thing was I didn't have too much money outside of the money I used to purchase the house. Uh-huh. So I didn't want to raise rent right away because I needed the rent to kind of sustain the mortgages until I can fix up the property. So I didn't raise the rent till I believe, maybe – six seven months into it so like that okay. summer okay. I decided okay. to race once I was more comfortable okay um and so just talking about like rent in in general and so how as a landlord do you decide to raise rent because you know a lot of times people uh complain like oh landlords are raising the rent blah 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 but it's like typically the stuff expenses are going up for the landlord as well you know you gotta um you know be at fair market value etc but how how, did, how as a landlord do you decide to actually like hey it's time to raise the rent like what are the determining factors? Um, well for me, what my mind frame was is okay I'm living here right so it's kind of different than just saying rent's going up all right I'll see you later you know what I mean so my whole thing was I wanted to give value before I raise rent so I fixed up some things around the property okay. those first six months and then I went back to them in June it's like hey you've seen I made some changes I've made some updates and I will continue to do this however with me doing this you will have to pay a higher premium on rent okay and so how do you um how do you keep that boundary between you and the tenants as well because you know you want to be you know kind but not not like friendly oh i don't know maybe you are friends with the the, the tenants but how do, how do you keep that that boundary you know that prevents somebody from knocking at your door at nine at night to tell you a light bulbs out or something that you know clearly could wait to mm-hmm. The next morning, like, how do you keep those boundaries uh, between the, the tenants? Okay. Uh, similar to like a job, and my leases, I give my tenants my hours, like, you know, okay. Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 p.m. If there's anything outside of here that's not a non emergency, it is a $40 service fee. A lot of times, you know, a tenant is not going to want to pay that $40 for a light bulb, right? Okay. Yeah. So I believe early in my leases, I kind of set those boundaries as far as what my hours are. 
of contact and what qualifies as an emergency and what's a non-emergency. Okay, okay. Make, makes 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 a lot of sense. Um, and then, so um, how did you that you or uh, your your lady go about purchasing the the next property? Like, what was the what was that process? Mm-hmm. What was the decision? So after I got mine, you know, and we went through all of that, she's like, you know, I want to get my own. So um, there actually was like a HUD property. I don't, I don't know the housing program name, but it was a property that was a FHA that had been sitting, and I think they wanted like ninety nine thousand for the duplex, and they were reimbursed you on the cost to fix it up. So they actually they not only had the purchase price, they had the estimated rehab that you would get refunded for after you fix those things that were on their list. And it was small. It was like paint, carpet, and like three electrical outlets. So my lady ended up purchasing that one. Um, so they had like $11,000 budget as far as what they were reimbursed for. But the actual work only costed about 5700 Okay. So she did that. And then shortly after that, she got pregnant because we was going to move into that one. So then once that happened, she just left the unit that she was going to move into. She just had her stuff there and she just kind of kept it vacant for like the year to satisfy the occupancy thing. Okay. She went out the downstairs. So that's kind of how that went. Okay. So and that's so that's six units. And then so how did y'all go about the the, the duplex, the, the last two units? No, no. Uh hers was a duplex. Okay. So, uh, I had a triplex. She purchased a duplex. So then about a year later, um, because COVID was kind of weird, but after COVID, property values were up. So yeah. I got my triplex for about 160 and I think it was worth like 240 a year later. So I ended up taking out what's called a home equity loan against it okay. for 40000 And I used that to purchase me a triplex. I mean, a duplex that used to be a triplex, and I converted it back to a triplex. Okay. So that was, um, I believe that was like June or July of the next year. How'd you go about that that conversion? Um, so I had to put on another electric meter and it was really just like a soundproof wall between units because it was like, it was one unit that had two kitchens, quote unquote. So I added a kitchen in one of the units and then I just put a dividing wall between them. That's kind of like soundproof. And then I had to, uh, we introduced people come and put the water, I mean, the electricity meter for the third one. So it ran me probably about 50. So I got the property for 60 um between the third unit and just updating all the units it probably ran me like seventeen thousand. okay so um but now today I almost cash flow like 1900 on that same oh, wow. property okay so, okay awesome um and so how, how do you go about um like screening tenants i don't know if you, have you had to place new tenants in these properties yet or have, are they still the same how do you go about yeah like, yeah, yeah. I, I got it vacant so okay that was my whole thing. Like that's kind of what intrigued me about it because not only could I fix it up and charge the rents I want, but I can have a tenant that I screen staying there. And um, it's on the north side of part of Milwaukee. So the thing is, is like when you buy in these neighborhoods that people deem dangerous, the first thing they're gonna say is, "What if you get a crazy tenant? What if you get a crazy tenant? What if you get a crazy tenant?" So my whole thing was, I need to make sure my screening is in process. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you know in full effect because I don't want to get somebody that's crazy. So. Um, I would say for those three units, it probably took me four months to get it all the way occupied and the right people in there just because I got a lot of applications every day, but they didn't meet those requirements. And that's one thing I stress on people that when your landlords that have those requirements, because you might think you might have 10 people apply, but what if a hundred people apply in a week? How are you going to be able to 
you know, cross eliminate who you're going to keep and who you're going to not keep. You got to have your requirements established. So that's one thing that I did. And so what, what are some of those re requirements you had for us? Um, you know, their income, the income to rent, you know, so if your rent is a thousand dollars, how much do you want them to be making? Do they got to make at least three thousand, four thousand? Um, you know, uh, credit, you know, where I was, you know, credit wasn't deemed popular. I just didn't want, you know, do you want a high credit score? Or do you want like no bankruptcies? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, third one is, you know, the background, you know, can they have like no, no kind of felonies, no kind of evictions, no evictions in the last five years, 10 years, you know, how that works. So I'll just say uh, income, credit, and just background, you kind of want to establish those. So when you're reviewing these applications, you can really cross eliminate who you want and who you don't want. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. And how, how is the, the Milwaukee real estate market? Because um, that's the market I don't really hear, but everyone talks about, uh, you know, Dallas, Austin, you know, all those. Like, how is the Milwaukee market? Is it, um, are prices going up? Is it, is it, are rents going up in the market? Like, is it a hot market? Is it cooled down? Um, kind of how's yeah, the market uh, now and, and then? It cash flows like crazy. Okay. I feel like Milwaukee right now is kind of like how Detroit was in like 2013, 2014. Okay. Where it's like nobody's talking about it. You hear about these cheap houses like, yeah, 20,000, 30,000. But it's like, you know, if you know what you're doing, you could really, you can make a pretty penny on these houses. Okay, 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 okay. Thanks. So I guess that's the, that's the place to look at is, uh, is Milwaukee. Okay. Um, and so I, I know at a, a, a certain point, um, you stepped away from your your job and kind of kind of went 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 back. Um, can you talk about that that journey from nine to five to entrepreneur, like back to nine to five, and kind of what was the what was the process there? Because like so, like oh, I said, okay. oh sorry, go ahead. So one thing that I will admit is sometimes when you in the realm of like trying to skill to get outside of your job, you forget the most important thing that got you there, and that was your job. And, um, for me, that's what it was, bro. So a lot of times, like when I'm getting these properties, you know, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm on socials, I kind of got distracted and kind of just got so consumed with, you know, rentals and doing this and doing that, that it actually affected like my job performance. Like I wasn't as focused, I wasn't as locked in. So um, February, I believe, yep, February 24th, uh, my job had let me go. Okay. And at that point, I think my my rental income it matched like what my overhead would be month in and month out, mm -hmm. like literally match for match. So I'm like, okay, well maybe I just take the risk and um and I try to try this entrepreneur thing out. But um looking back in hindsight, I didn't give myself enough time to really have that extra cushion as far as properties, income, and just establishment of just business because even though you know my rentals have matched my expenses. I'm out here trying to network via social media, go live and all that kind of thing. But it's like, I don't think my business model was solid enough. And I don't think I gave it enough time for it to be solid. Mm -hmm. And when you add that with the fact that um, on one of my trial places, I ended up fixing up and thinking I was going to sell. So okay. in about, I believe, May, my first triplex, I was going to fix up and sell. So I put about ten to 15000 into it. But I ran into a problem where I had a distressed tenant in a lower unit. Okay. And my nice unit, the unit that I fixed up that our house had that I lived in. And when I went through that, 
I realized like, yo, I can't sell this place because if I do, I'm going to take a lower number, which would mean me letting go of an asset for a lower number, which is something you never want to do. Mm-hmm. Or B, I probably won't be able to sell it because between the damage she's done to the unit, which she'll be out in December, uh, between the damage she's done to the unit and just everything that was going on, there was no way an investor was going to come in and want to buy it. Um, so then my second thought was, dang, well, maybe I could take out an equity loan against it because I do have a lot of equity in it. But I didn't have, because of my DTI, between you know my expenses for my rental properties that was listed on my credit report, I wouldn't be able to get an equity loan because I didn't have a W-2 job, which okay. once I realized that, I'm like, if I got to go back to work, I go back to work. So I just put my pride to the side and went back to work, bro. Well, yeah, I'm glad you pointed out because two, two things. There's one, I think, like I always hear folks online talk about, hey, I pulled $40,000, $50,000 out of the property. And it may, they make it seem like you just go to the bank and pull the money out. It's like, no, you got to, it's a loan. Like everyone leaves out the fact that like when you're pulling money out of property, it's a loan. So that you have to prove you can pay it back to, to the bank. They're not just giving you, you know, uh, money out of the property due to due to equity. And like say, so yeah, that like that that nine to five helps because um banks, lenders want to see they want to see some sort of income. And W2 is the easy income to 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 prove. You can literally um start a job. You, you can literally you can have not even started a job and just show like a um an acceptance letter in some situations and they'll they'll count your your income. Um we said we said it like a distressed tenant. What did you mean by that? Was somebody was just like wilding in the place or uh yeah, she was going through a domestic thing with her husband. He moved out. Um and then she had a period where she was kind of doing some, you know, odd things. And um she was one of the, she's one of those tenants that knows the system as okay. far as because she was a renaissance tenant, but they're gonna play the system to the fullest capacity. And that's a situation where I kind of got played in the situation. I can go into the detail if you would like me to, because yeah, yeah, I don't have yeah, no detail. shame. Every detail. Okay. Yeah. So uh, she's a renaissance attendant. I had the unit listed for $1,100. Um, she had a voucher for $825, but she told me that, hey, I will sign a separate lease for $1,100, and I will pay the difference of $275, $275 a month, okay. which is, you know, the difference between $825 and 1100 so for the first five or six months, you know, she was doing that. And then she went through this thing with her husband, this domestic thing. And then she was kind of being very loud and not just the tenants upstairs that I was getting calls about at one in the morning. I never got called at one in the morning, but this is the only time I got a call at one in the morning. This is while full-time entrepreneur. Uh-huh. Um, so all that is going on. And then, you know, the following month, I'm like, hey, um, where's the 275 to make it, you know, 1100 And then she hit me with the... I'm doing everything by the book, take it up with the rent assistant department, this, this, uh-huh. and that. So she literally did that to short me, and there was nothing I could do about it because the official paperwork is at 825. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's like between that going on with the unit, um, I can't sell it because, like I said, she would personally sabotage, you know, the showing. And I know anybody going on the showing. They're going to ask, well, how long is the tenant going to be there, right? Yeah. And to know they're going to be there for six more months when you buy the property and they're already distressed, it's like, I'm about to get him a lower offer. So then listed on the market, I have to play the long game. I'm like, well, you know, if I give in to what's going on now, I'm going to let the asset go for cheaper or I can go back to work, you know, give it some time, give it time for her to get out of there, fix that unit up and then go back to the drawing board. So that's ultimately what I decided to do based on her, you know, kind of sabotaging it a little bit, but it happens.
Okay, th thank you. And so one important thing I think you pointed out, I don't know if that may have gone over, like kind of folks hit a little bit, is that like whenever you're purchasing a occupied property or a, a rental property is that you have to actually verify like what is actually being paid in 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 rent. So just because someone tells you, hey, I'm collecting $1,100 in rent, like you need to actually see them co actually collecting it like in real life. Because, uh, you know, like I said, anything could be on paper, but like a um, if they're not collect, if they only collect 875, or maybe they're just collecting nothing because the the landlord or the tenant hasn't paid. Like you need to to know that. So just just don't ever just take anyone's um, word as far as you know what the tenants are are paying. So um, that, that, that that's kind of why if you guys didn't pick it up, why um, it was going to be an issue, or why the person would even know um, what was being paid um, on rent in that property. Um, and as so I mentioned, you're an, an accountant. Um, can you talk about some like maybe the tax benefits as far as like real estate, you know, like um, depreciation and all and all uh, all that uh, um, technical stuff? It's 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 so many tax benefits. So, um, and what I mean by tax benefit is the income you make when you're rental property, you're able to offset it by these benefits. So, one example is depreciation. So, you know, in layman's terms, if you bought a car today that you bought for ten thousand and it had a five-year useful life, that means every year you will be able to write off $2,000. It was the same thing for a house, except for I believe it's over 39 and a half years. So you get to write that down. Um, two, mortgage interest. So when you pay your mortgage, you have a percentage that's principal and you have a percentage that's mortgage interest. Well, in the beginning, I think about like 95% of those first 24 payments, those first two years worth of payments are interest. So essentially, almost 95% of your mortgage, you're able to write off. And that's not even talking about repairs, uh, capital expenditures. So when you have a rental property, there's an endless amount of things that you can do to kind of decrease your tax liability legally, more importantly. Right. Actually, can you talk about what a, a write-off actually is? I see uh, so much focus information where folks are like, uh, I can buy... I buy a car and just write it off. And it's just like somehow it's free. No, it's, like, okay, it's so uh, a write-off is just essentially something that is decreasing your tax liability. Okay. So if you had $10,000 in rental income and you had depreciation of $2,000, your that $2,000 would decrease your taxable income from $10,000 to $8,000. Now you add in mortgage interest, that was $2,000. Now you add $6,000. So as opposed to being taxed, at $10,000, you're going to be taxed at $6,000. If you enjoy the show and want to go even more in-depth for the content we put out, go to HouseRichShow.com. We have courses on Insider Secrets, your lender and realtor don't tell you, a course on house hacking, and even a DIY credit course so you never have to pay for credit repair again. And since you're a loyal listener, use promo code POD for a special discount. Back to the show. Thanks. So kind of what's the what's the end game? So is it to build up the rental portfolio? Is it to take the accounting business and maybe uh, expand that on your own as far as um, a side hustle or, you know, a business kind of what, what's the 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 end game? Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily say if I have an end game or like goal as far as like retiring. I just know I want to build both up. So I want to continue to get better at being an accountant. You know, uh, tax paperwork, just kind of knowing over the tax codes because I actually use some of that stuff on my own. Uh, same thing with the rentals. I want to just continue to keep building and buying and just adding cash flow to that portfolio, adding equity to that portfolio, and just keep building as I go. I don't think sometimes I feel like when you have an end game, it kind of stops you from really taking it to the next level because 
you're so short-term thinking to just get into that goal, which I was a victim of. So for me now, it's just like, let's just build it up, um, live life as it goes by. And when you get to a point where it's like, there's no point in working, then I'll do it. But who knows when that'll happen. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Thank you. Um, so you talk about, uh, and you have the um, nine to five uh, CEO uh, podcast. You talk about um, the podcast and then you talk, just talk about the, the podcast and what folks can um, kind of kind of gather from uh, tuning in. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, shout out to Zena. I co-hosted with Zena, Zena Dixon Inc. Um, we had did a live together and um, it was a cool live. We kind of had like a good, you know, connection. So I kind of reached out to her and asked her the idea, but conceptually how it came about is, you know, I'm a podcast junkie. Like that's all I do is listen to podcasts during the day. Right. So one thing I was noticing, bro, is you listen to these podcasts and people be like, I had a job, I was in real estate and now I'm retired. Yeah. And they never really gave a story of what was it like doing both. Like, what was it like having a job and having that first property? How was it like having that job and having that second property? What was it like when work got demanded and your side business got demanded? So I started the podcast with Zena to kind of tell that story. So when people listen that might have had future ambitions to want to do it, they actually knew, okay, this is what actually comes with it. As opposed to just hearing somebody saying, I'm retired now in eight months. <laughs> yeah, because that's how all stories start. It's like, oh, I left my six-figure job to start this, and it's like, uh, no, I got thirty years. Like, oh, what? There were some steps in between there. <laughs> it seems like everybody that quits their job had a six-figure job. Like, no one ever's like, oh, I had a, I made eighty thousand dollars and I left my job. It's always six-figure. And then I yeah. left my six-figure job to start this. Like, okay, I'm not even at six figures in my job yet. So it's like, I got some, I got some stuff to do. That's why you ask me. I'm like, bro, I got to build my job up too. Uh -huh. Like, you know, why, why not have a six-figure job income and six-figure rental portfolio? Most, 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 most definitely. And then, so what? What can um folks get out of your um uh, your nine-to-five landlord course? Um, it's real, it's organic, and it's based off my experiences. So it's literally things I've came I've came up with on along the ways of being a landlord. So you know, I talk about. You know, just the simplest things. Okay, keep a lockbox on your properties with key access to all units. So you know, in the winter. When something goes out or a tenant needs something needs to be fixed, but they go to work during the day, you don't have to drive there to let in the plumber. You can just get a plumber to lock by his key. He can fix it. And you can do this off on your phone. You know, um, I talk about, you know, how to collect rents without having to be there. It's like, you know, if you don't want to have your address, get you a lockbox. It only costs $5. Get in the lockbox address where they can mail the checks, you know, Cash App, Venmo, Zelle. So it's just like, it's just in a, um, it's just processes and procedures I use that allow me to focus on my nine to five while also being a landlord, but I kind of really break it down. Now. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And then, uh, uh, the last question, I, oh, no, oh, by the way, that, that, uh, links for that stuff will be in the, uh, the description to this, uh, podcast or YouTube. And so, um, last question. And so if you had a million dollars and you had to spend it all in one week on real estate or real estate related stuff, what would you use it for? I'll probably buy a portfolio cash flow on properties in Milwaukee. All right. All right. There, there you go. And uh, just one more time, where, where can folks um, find you at? Oh, you can find me on Instagram at the 925, the number 9TO5, Landlord414. So you can find me there. Uh, you can follow the podcast page at official 925CEO podcast. And, you know, just hit me up, man. I'm I'm a human being. So, you know, if you say something, you're talking sense, I definitely respond. <laughs>
All right, all right. Appreciate uh, appreciate the knowledge. Appreciate the the story and going into the 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 detail. Kind of like you said, it's not like uh, like the like it's podcast. It's not like um, you just have a job and you somehow all of a sudden you got you got thirty units. There, there's a process in between there, and sometimes you got it's it's ups and downs in in the process. So um, if you listen this far, I'd appreciate I appreciate y'all. Um, subscribe to the YouTube, leave a review. It really helps the the podcast. And uh, tell a friend to tell a friend. And as always, by land, rumor has it they're not making any more. Thanks.